Hey, open your Bibles, if you will, to Acts chapter 15. If you need a Bible, uh, raise your hand. One of our blue shirts will bring you one. Uh, lift them up way up in the air, and they will get you one right now. They have them ready. They are armed and ready with Bibles, with the sword of the Spirit. Open to Acts chapter 15. Actually, if you want to go on and back up to um, Acts chapter 14, verse 21 to 28, we're going to kind of get a running go into today's message from last week's text. So we just understand where we are and understand kind of what's going on as we get into 15. I think that'll be helpful for us. Uh, as we jump into today's text. So let's, uh, let's do that. Acts chapter 14, we'll pick up in verse 21, and here's what we actually preached from uh, part of it last week. 21 says, When they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they turn, returned to Lystra and Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they appointed elders from them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Then they passed through Pisidia and came to Pamphylia. And when they had spoken the word in Perga, they, were down, they went down to Italia. And from there they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled. And when they arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles, and they remained no little time with the disciples. And that seems like a time of rejoicing, right? Seems like a time that people would be happy about what's going on, happy about what the Lord is doing. Uh, they, everything seems to be going good with where they were. They've declared the gospel. They have said, hey, these are good things that are going on. And, and so it tells us that they remain no little time with the disciples and they were rejoicing with them. And then we get to uh, chapter 15. And here's what our text says today. We'll be in the first 12 verses. But, circle that if you're a writer in your Bible, I encourage you to be. But... Some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, and they said this, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. So... Being sent on their way by the church, they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles and brought great joy to all the brothers. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they declared all that God had done with them. But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, It is necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. The apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter. And after there had been much debate, Peter stood up, said to them, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you, that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the dis- on the, on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear. But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they will. And all the assembly fell silent, and they listened to Barnabas and Paul as they related what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. We'll stop right there. Let me pray one more time, and we will continue on in our text. God, we love you. We need you. Holy Spirit, help me today as we declare the goodness of the grace of God uh, in and through the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is our hope and our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. So, not surprisingly, a great work of the Lord had just taken place. And uh, people were rejoicing, the disciples were rejoicing, new converts were rejoicing at all that was going on. Uh, But anytime something like that happens, church, anytime that the 
grace of God falls upon a people, when the Holy Spirit begins to stir in and amongst the people, be on guard. Be on guard, church. There's always opposition to the continuation of this kind of saving work. Always. We should not be surprised that whenever God is moving and good things are happening, that opposition will come. We see it all through the scriptures. We've seen it through the history of the church. We've experienced in this church, in this church as well. And I would just encourage you, church, to be on guard. Let's see what our text says in 15 uh, verse 1. But some men came from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And so these men, they are called Judaizers uh, in the text that we'll see throughout some more of the New Testament whenever we read this. These Judaizers came to the congregation in Antioch and taught that Gentiles may become Christians, but only under these very specific set of circumstances, only after first becoming Jews in in essence and submitting to the Jewish rituals, including and specifically in this case, circumcision. It was very difficult for a lot of these Jewish Christians to accept that Gentiles could be brought into the church. Jews and Gentiles didn't spend a lot of time together. And so to see that this gospel that had fallen and been given to the Jews at first was actually now going to the Gentiles and they were going to become equal members uh, it just didn't seem to set right with them, especially if these Gentiles did not fall under the law of Moses like they had lived under for their entire lives. They're like, this ain't fair, bro. This ain't fair. We had to live under this way for so long, and yes, we're so glad that the gospel has come, but now that the gospel has also come to you, you've got to live, you've got to go back under these same rules and regulations that we have. One commentator said this, It was one thing to accept the occasional God-fearer into the church, someone already in sympathy with Jewish ways. It was quite another to welcome large numbers of Gentiles who had no regard for the law and no intention of keeping it. No regard for the law, because the law didn't apply to the Gentiles. They didn't live under the law of Moses. And whenever they became Christian, they certainly had no intention of keeping the law of Moses. And it just did not set very well with these Jewish believers. And so these Christians were from Judea, and they were not content to keep this, their beliefs to themselves. And so they felt persuaded that, hey, we're going to have to go to these new converts, and I'm going to teach these new brothers that they're going to have to come under the same yoke. They didn't consider it a yoke, but just these same rules that we had to live under. And so these new or, or these older uh, or these older Jewish guys had made this judgment on Paul and Barnabas and their missionary endeavors. And they found that they, these churches that they were starting and these groups of Christians that they were uh, stirring up and, uh, with the gospel message and they were forming groups of people among the Gentiles, Without bringing them under the law of Moses, they were just very disturbed by that and said, you guys are wrong. You guys can't keep doing it this way. Something has got to change. When Paul was in the city of Antioch in Pisidia, Paul preached this message from Acts 13, 29. Here's what he said. And by him, Jesus, everyone who believes is justified from all things from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. You see that? That's what he was saying. That's what this text says. He said, you're going to be justified, but the law cannot justify you. Keeping the rules cannot justify you. No matter how hard you try, no matter how much effort you give, no matter how much you try, how much you endeavor, how sincere your heart is, you will never, say never, you will never be able to keep the law and the law has no power to justify you. The law only brings what? Condemnation. The law only brings the fact to, uh, a spotlight on the fact that you have no way to possibly keep this law and there's no way that you'll be justified this. So these certain men from Judea, the Judaizers, would have objected to Paul's teaching that we just read here. 
They would say, yes, you can be justified. Yes, you need to follow Jesus, but just as we have done, you've got to try at least to keep the law of Moses. But Paul taught that a man can only be right with God on the basis, not of keeping the law, but on the basis of what Jesus has done. And that's the good news of the gospel for them at that time and for you and me today. Paul about, wrote about this same thing, this same ordeal in, the letter, in a letter to the Galatians. Uh, so in Galatia, a group of Christian Jews were stirring up the non-Jews by demanding that the Gentile believers must be circumcised as they were or their beliefs are not valid. Now, some people will tell you that they believe that uh, this missionary journey that Paul was on as he was being uh, condemned by these Judaizers was during the same time that the things were going on in Galatia. I think there's a little bit of time differential uh, personally just from studying it, but whether you believe it was during the same time, whether you believe it's 30 years later, it's somewhat irrelevant in our part of the conversation now because the same types of, the point is the same types of thing were happening both here in, uh, in our text today where they were in Acts and the same things in Galatia. Paul went on to say in the first chapter of Galatians that all of salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And as he wrote the first chapter of Galatians, he's like, bros, I am so astonished that you are so quickly turning away from the grace of God. He's like, do you not understand that I have brought you this message? That's what he's saying to Galatians. Do you not understand that I have brought you this message that is by grace alone? I'm not asking you to follow a set of rules. I'm not asking you to follow some set of Jewish traditions. I'm telling you that God has come to you, and by grace, you can be saved. And yet, you are so quickly turning away from it. That, that was the way he started Galatians. He was kind of angry. He had his angry eyes in. And so that's, what, that's how he started his letter to the Galatians. And then he goes on into Galatians chapter 2. Look what he says in Galatians chapter 2, verses 15 to 21. Actually, I would encourage you to turn there with me because I really want to bring some highlights out to you in Galatians chapter 2. I'll give you 12 seconds to get to Galatians chapter 2. Eight seconds. Come on, four seconds. Three, two, 1.5. Zero. Okay, you should be there by now. Galatians, here's what he says in Galatians chapter 2, verse 15 through 21. We ourselves, so Paul is saying this to the church at Galatia, we ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. And that's the way the Jews thought about the Gentiles. They are Gentiles, they're outside the household of faith, they don't have the promises of God, and they are Gentile sinners. That's the way they thought about that. Verse 16, yet, circle that, yet, we know that a person is not justified. Say not justified. Not justified by works of the law. If you're an underliner, underline, circle, highlight, whatever it is. People are not justified by the work of the law, but, circle that but, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So, circle so, so we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be what? Justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because, circle because, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. He wasn't playing. He didn't mealy mouth that message along the way. He just said, no one will be justified by works of the law. Here's what I'm going to tell you. You need to listen to me. If you believe that you can be right with God by doing enough good, by keeping the rules by not making mom and daddy mad, by appeasing your parents, by showing up for church, all the things that you think make you right with God outside of faith and trust in the finished work of Jesus, if you believe that you can be justified by your works that you do, I will repeat this verse for you again. Let's just read it together uh, in verse 16. Where does it start? 16. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So... We, are, we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law because by works of the law, no one will be justified. No one, that includes you. 
You can't save yourself. You can't do enough good. You can't try to appease God enough on your own. You cannot do it. And if you're trusting in that to hope that I get to the end of my life and one day when I leave this earth and move on from this life to the next, I'm going to stand before God and go, God, remember all the stuff I did? Remember, I, 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 didn't, I didn't sneak, drink, smoke, or chew, or run around with girls that do. I mean, I, I didn't do any of those kind of things. Um, I didn't do any of those things and so you know I, I tried to go to church I gave some the offering plate yada 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 the whole things no one can be justified apart no one will be justified by trying to keep works of the law you cannot do it he goes on verse 17 but if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ we too were found to be sinners. Is Christ then a servant of sin? He's like, do you understand how ridiculous this, this th line of thinking is? Certainly not, he says, verse 18. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. He said, hey, I've already told you that you can't do this by living according to the rules. And now if I try to build that back up, he said, if I rebuild what I tore down, because that was his message to the Galatians, you can't be justified by anything other than Jesus. But now if I try to go back to that and try to build that up, he says, I prove myself alone to be a transgressor. I'm lying. He's like, I'm transgressing the law by trying to build back up, build back up the law. 19, for through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. He's like, the law, this is just my guardian. I'm, I, I'm dead to the law. I realized that it did nothing but point me to the one that, could, that kept the law perfectly. And I'm dead to the law now. He goes on to say, so that I might live to God. Verse 20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh I live by faith, circle that, by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. 21, I do not nullify the grace of God for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. You see that? If righteousness were through the law, if there was some way that I could save myself, if there was some way that I could do enough right if there was some way that I could check enough boxes, if there was some way that I could be religious enough and do enough and keep enough rituals, if there was some way that I could live to the law, if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Paul wrote Galatians. He was probably just as adamant as I just said that. Maybe even more so. So in our text, these same kind of opponents of the fact that salvation is found in Jesus alone, they denied it and opposed it, and the Scripture says it at the end of verse 1. Look again in verse 1. But, if, but some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. So this was not a side issue. This was not something that was just one of those peripheral things. You know, you'll hear us say sometimes at Refuge, there are things that we hold in a closed fist and a thing that we hold in an open hand. The closed fisted things are things that you have to believe to call yourself a Christian. You can't deny these things and be a Christian. And the things we hold in an open hand are things that, you know what, you know what, we might disagree about these things and we say at Refuge, we're just not going to be disagreeable about them. Some things fall into an open hand and go, there's some things that are open to interpretation, non-essentials and salvation. We talk about those in our Discover. Whenever you want to, hey, I, I want to join this church, you become to Discover next week. Uh, we'll talk about some of those things. But he said, but they're saying, unless you're circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. So this was not a side issue. This is not an open hand issue. It has to do with salvation itself how one is made right with God. 
And honestly, that's why we do what we do. That's why refuge exists, to declare the goodness of God, to declare that there is salvation found in no other, to speak uh, clearly into, this, into our culture today, to say to, be, to move from death to life, you have to repent and believe the gospel, that there is salvation found in no other than the name of Jesus. Paul was saying these very same things. This is not a matter where people could just agree to disagree among believers. With some saying you could come under the law and some believing that it was important, others believing that it was not important. But this was, a, this was an issue that went to the core of Christianity and it had to be resolved. I mean, can you imagine how much the enemy, our enemy Satan, wanted them to just be stirred up among this very thing? I mean, he wanted some false doctrine to kind of infiltrate the new Christians and the new church during that time, that there could be a works righteousness, that you could do enough. Yes, yeah, fine, if you want to believe in Jesus, that's fine. But let me just tell you, there are other things that you have to trust in, not just Christ alone, but there are other things that you have to trust in. How much would our enemy love to stir that up within us? So that then we could begin to argue with amongst ourselves, well, I'm doing this, and you're not doing that, and you're doing that, and I'm not sure that's enough. Do you see the division those kinds of things can stir up? But even if it didn't, our enemy, Satan, would love to see a doctrinal war exist within those churches, specifically the early churches that we'll see get birthed in the book of Acts. And unfortunately, those things still happen today. Doctrinal wars exist within the churches, probably even within this own church doctrinal wars doctrinal disagreements people sticking their foot in the sand to go i will not be moved because this is the way i've learned it my entire life and sometimes some of you are unwilling to submit to the scriptures and learn the scriptures and be what the scripture says and go i'm just going to land on what i feel and what i believe and what i think to be right don't be so stubborn-hearted as to land in that place. Trust the Scriptures. If you have a question, trust the Scriptures. If you want to talk about those things, we talk about it regularly, that we can say we can disagree without being disagreeable, but we're going to let the Scriptures be the final arbiter in what teaches us what is true and what is not true. Amen? That's where we're going to land. You know, other things get added to salvation. So they were trying to add that you had to be circumcised, you had to go back under the law of Moses. What are other things that get added to salvation besides Christ alone? What are some of those things? Works, yep. What else? Baptism, yep. Speaking in tongues, yep. Knowing all the books of the Bible by heart. Money. Ooh. That's okay. It's true. It's true. What? Oh, political party. Yeah. If you don't vote for my political party, then you must be not be a Christian. What songs you sing? Ooh, let me let me sidebar on songs. It's okay. I'll sidebar right here. Sidebar on songs. I think it's somewhere else in my notes today, but I'll just say it right here since you brought it up. Thanks, Katie. Uh Katie says <laughs> that songs can be a division. Let me just say this. is one thing that we believe true and right, and, and we'll stand on this. There are some songs that are really good songs that you probably sing, that you have on your, on your uh, playlist, on your Spotify or whatever you use. There are probably songs that you sing that we'll never sing at this church. Okay? Songs that you sing that you go, man, these things are so good, and, and I have some on my Spotify list too that I listen to, and I go, man, that's really a good song, and I hate that Bethel wrote it. Oh, did I say that? Uh, uh, I hate that Bethel wrote it, uh, but we're not singing that here. Why? Because we don't lead you to Bethel. Okay? A set of churches, false teachers, uh, deny parts of the essential part of the, uh, the gospel. We're not leading you there. I know you're going to go look them up now, but, and that's fine. You'll, uh, hopefully you'll have enough discernment to understand why we don't sing their music here. Because we don't want you going back and listening to what it is they have to say from the pulpit. Because they're false teachers. And they will come under the condemnation of God for the false things that they're teaching. Off the soapbox. 
So there are lots of people that say many of these things that you just said, you have to add those things to be saved. So James is where a lot of people go. James chapter, 20, uh, chapter 2, uh, verse 24. Let's go there. Uh, you, can, you can follow with me or not. Or let's see, where's James? James, there you are. James chapter 2, verse 24. Here's what James says. I only get like six words on each page in this giant Bible up here. It's so I can read it. All right, we'll pick, we'll pick up back to 24. So there's, uh, uh, talking about faith and works. And so that's what James is having this discussion. He's talking about faith and works. And so there's this big dispute over, are you justified by faith alone? Are you justified by faith plus works? And lots of people confuse the language with James, but that's why it's important to have a good uh, understanding of the art and science of biblical interpretation. There are not anything that contradict one another in our scriptures, okay? So James is not going to say something that contradicts what Paul says. And so we have to go into it with that in mind, that there's no author in the scriptures that's going to contradict what another author is going to say, okay? So we know that God's not the author of confusion, but then you get to James and you go, I don't know about that preacher. This seems confusing to me. Let's see what he says. James chapter 2, verse um, a 20. Strong language. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac to the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. Verse 24, you see that a person is not justified by work, excuse me, a person that you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone and i'll go and read and is the same way was not rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way for as the body apart from the spirit is dead so also faith apart from works is dead and you're like oh preacher what you gonna do with that one well i'll say let's turn back to ephesians turn with me galatians ephesians it's the eats Ephesians chapter 2. Three seconds. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, uh-oh, not as a result of, of works so that no man may boast we for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them you're like well what do you do with that preacher seems like James and Paul are in opposition with one another and that in itself has created lots of controversy through the years in churches. And I say it creates controversy because you have weak men that stand in pulpits and are unwilling to teach the truth of the Scriptures. Well, I ain't going to be one of those weak men. And I'm going to tell you what the Scriptures are t- teaching us here. James is saying the same thing that Paul is saying. He says, James says, bro, I will know your faith by your works. Paul says you are going to gain. Faith comes by, uh, by grace alone if through faith alone in Christ alone, and that leads to what? Good works. And so if I'm over here doing good works after I have become a Christian, it is what? Evidence that I have been redeemed, that I have been born again. James is saying the same thing. He's like, I'll show you my faith by my works. He said, it's not faith alone. And what he is saying is, you know what we call it here? What is it? Golden ticket theology. 
that I say a prayer somewhere in my past, and I've got, I'm going to pull my golden ticket out on God someday and say, hey, God, remember that thing I did when I was 12? And I hadn't done a good work. I hadn't done a thing. I hadn't been conformed to the image of Jesus. There's nothing about me that has changed, and I'm the same that I was when I was 12. Remember what I did? James says, your faith is worthless. Because our faith leads us, active faith leads us unto good works. Tracking with me there? All right, good. I feel good about that. All right, let's keep going because I'm going to run y'all into like your afternoon nap. Uh, And mine too. Baptism, I'll talk about baptism really quick. Who saves you? There you go. Does, do I, if, if I trust in Jesus, I trust in Jesus. Uh, if I trust in Jesus and repent of my sins and believe the gospel, that Jesus lived the life I cannot live, that he died the death that I deserve to die, and God, he was buried and God raised him up three days later, victorious over sin and death and hell and the grave, and I put my faith and trust in his obedience and not my own, repent of my sins, turn from my sins, put all my faith in Jesus Christ. Am, am I a Christian? Yes, 100%. I said this all along. I become a Christian in here today. Let's assume this baptism is not set up. I become a Christian in here last week, and I go out on the highway on I-40, and an 18-wheeler splatters my brains all over the highway before before I'm baptized. But I believe all those things I just said. Do I go to heaven? thousand percent I do, because water doesn't save me. Jesus saves me. When I'm baptized, you might not have known that even happened to me. When these, this church that's coming today, they're baptizing people. You know why? They're baptizing people because everybody in their church didn't spend time with them and the pastor. Everybody didn't know what their life looked like before. Everybody hadn't heard their testimony. And so by coming to be baptized, they're coming publicly saying to the church, I am identifying with Jesus. I am trusting in his death, and I am dying to myself. That's what it looks like. I'm being buried with Jesus in baptism unto death. I am identifying with his death, his burial, and his resurrection. I am raised just like he will be to walk in a new life through, through Christ alone. Not through water. Water is symbolizing that I am dying to myself. I am dead in my, I was dead in my trespasses and sin, and now I'm raised to walk with the Spirit of God that lives within me. That's what the scriptures teach us. Okay? Y'all mad? Hope not. Get glad. Here we go. Let's keep going. Acts 15, verse 2 through 4. Uh, so Paul and Barnabas are going to respond to this teaching. Here's what they say. That was one verse. Here we go we got 12 more of those to go. Pack a lunch. You should probably pack snacks from now on. I'm just going to tell you, pack snacks. Exactly. Pack a lunch. Bring me something. I'd like a Diet Coke. Uh, And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. So, being sent on their way by the church, they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles and brought great joy in all the brothers. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders and they declared all that God had done with them. And so verse 2 says, man, there was no small dissension about this. I mean, there was an argument. They, they went back and forth with one another. And they're like, hey, man, this is what I believe, and this is what I believe, and I've held to this, and you don't hold to this anymore, and why do you hold to this, and why aren't we debating about this? You know, I'm not sure about this. And so there was no small dissension. It was a really big deal. Think intense. Think standing your ground. Digging one heels in, like, I will not be moved on this. And so they had some really, really vivid and, and uh, uh, strong discussions. And here's why this is important. Because the gospel message is not one to be compromised. At any time, in any place, for any people, it is not to be compromised at any point. And part of a pastor's work, especially from the pulpit, but really in any role, is to be persuasive in sharing the gospel. 
If I'm not persuasive in sharing the gospel from the pulpit, then you probably need someone else to stand in the pulpit and preach the gospel. That's part of a pastor's role is to take a text and explain it and lead you to Jesus through it, and that's where your hope is found in Christ alone. And so that's what we do on Sunday mornings. But in everyday conversations, you get the same opportunity to do that very thing. It's to talk to people about the goodness of God, the life that is found in Christ alone. And so it's important that you know good doctrine and you guard good doctrine and you are not wavered by someone else's uh, crafty arguments about doctrine that is not true. And so that's why we teach these things over and over and over again in our gatherings, in our gospel community groups, in your small groups that might, you might be in, in our students. We are laying a foundation in our student ministry, in our 1825 ministry, in our children's ministry. We are laying a foundation around the gospel and that salvation is found in no other than Jesus Christ. Here's my note about music. It's why we sing the songs we sing and don't sing some of the songs that we sing because we're guarding you from some people that teach false doctrine. So we've said this before, that part of a shepherd and part of our role in shepherd is to guard the sheep. We feed the sheep. The Bible describes the church as sheep. We're all sheep when we follow Jesus. And part of a, a, a shepherd, an under-shepherd of the church, is to feed the sheep. It's also to bark at the dogs, those who are just coming in and spouting other things. You know, when, you, when a dog barks at you, if, you, if you're kind of strong back at him, what does he do? Normally shuts up. And so part of a shepherd's role is sometimes to just bark at a dog from somebody in the congregation or somebody who has infiltrated the church and is mouthing off a bunch of garbage. You know what a shepherd's role is? Bark at the dog. Shut your mouth. We don't teach that here. You're not going to infiltrate our people here. You're going to have to go somewhere else. Not here. It's to rebuke the swine. Sometimes we have a tendency to just go and embellish ourselves in our sin. You know what? I'm just going to sin today. I'm going to sin this weekend. I know I shouldn't, but I'm going to do it anyway. You know what part of a shepherd's role is? Get up out of that muck. Get out of that slop. That's not where we belong as children of the king. Put that stuff away. That's not where we belong. Rebuke the swine, those of us who find ourselves indulging ourselves in sin. Part of a shepherd's role is to rebuke the swine. And the last part is to shoot the wolves. Shoot the wolves. Wolves come to destroy the sheep. And so if wolves come into refuge, you know what we're going to do? Shoot them. We're going to shoot them. Part of our role. So these Judaizers, I don't, I'm not sure they were really enemies of the gospel. I really don't think they were enemies of the gospel. They've been portrayed that way to me my entire life. As I read this and I think about them in general, I really don't think they were enemies of the gospel. I think they were misled. They'd lived this way their entire life and they didn't know any different. So they had to be taught. Sometimes they had to be rebuked for what they were teaching that was false. Uh, and I think they actually, I honestly believe they went into it with a good heart going, wait a minute. You, you, you Gentiles don't want to miss out on these things that have been going on. And so you've got to go back and do this. We're the, we're the people that God's called. And so you had not been doing this, so come over and do this. You have to do this. You see that? But they were wrong on this issue. And Paul, Paul and Barnabas went to Jerusalem to have the matter settled by the apostles and the elders. So they could not just agree to disagree on this issue because it was at the core of what it meant to be a follower of Jesus. Even though I don't think they went into it with wrong intentions, they had to be corrected in their wrong doctrine. So there were a handful of people that decided that Paul and Barnabas should go on, and they were sent away by the church. Verse 3 suggests that they had sent them on uh, their way, and Paul and Barnabas went to Jerusalem. They found plenty of other Christians who were there to celebrate what was going on. He was telling them the stories about what was happening, and they were like, man, I can't believe this. We are celebrating with what's going on with you, and I just want you as a church, don't miss it here. Okay, there's so much good going on at Refuge, like so much good. I don't want you to miss it. I don't want you to be a half-timer. I don't want you to be a part-timer. 
I don't want you to be a Sunday only. I don't want you to be a Christian, Christian, you know, Christmas and Easter. I don't want you to be that person. Maybe you have been in your past. It's irrelevant. You can't change the past. You can change everything in the future. You can change everything in the future. Get in on what God is doing. Like he's saving people. He is moving people from death to life. He is awakening people to the gospel. He is like people that have rejected the gospel for their entire life. He is awakening their eyes to the gospel and go, how could I have missed this? And people are being baptized, not just here, at another church. They're going to baptize people because God is doing that same kind of work over there, awakening people to the gospel. What a thing to celebrate. Please don't miss that. Plug yourself into this church and be all of what God is doing. The apostles were excited about that, and so they went back, and they talked about this, and they convened. But alas, some that we read in our text just could not let it go. Look what it says in verse uh, 5. But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, it is necessary to circumcise them and, and to order them to keep the law of Moses. And so these Pharisees were like, look, I ain't even talking about just circumcision. I'm talking about keeping the law. You got to do it all. We've had to do it all. And you guys are going to have to, you guys are going to have to um, do it. These Pharisees believed that they were justified by keeping the law, the Ten Commandments, plus these other uh, 600 laws that they had put around the Ten Commandments so they didn't violate the Ten Commandments. They just kept adding and adding and adding and adding. And like, we don't even get close to violating the Ten Commandments. So they just kept adding them over and over. But if they couldn't, if they realized, you know what, I still couldn't do it, then the Day of Atonement came, and they're like, okay, on the Day of Atonement, all my sins are going to get washed away anyway, and then they started over again. That's the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur. If you hear that on your church calendar, that's Yom Kippur, is called the Day of Atonement. And so that's the day that they would actually go in. The priest would confess the sins of the people over uh, some type of uh, sacrifice that he would make, typically a goat, and then they would also put uh, there would also be another goat that would come that was called the scapegoat and so he would sacrifice to god to forgive their sins and then he would confess their sins over the scapegoat and then like boom scram scapegoat and they would run the scapegoat out of town hoping that as they confessed their sins over the goat it would just run away and die somewhere in the wilderness never to come back into the camp y'all heard that story before okay yeah so scapegoat he was like all my sins are going away with that. And so that's what would happen is that they would confess these sins. And so they thought they had to live. That's why the Pharisees were so adamant about this that we see in verse 5. And so even though they might even say, we recognize that Jesus is the Messiah, they were learning that they are going to have to stop their attempts of trying to justify themselves by keeping the law and accept the fact that all this work was laid on Jesus and Jesus had done it all and completed it all on their behalf. And that was just tough for them to live with. So in 2024, we have a long history of the American church teaching that specifically these Judaizers just missed it and were wrong. And they were trying to add to the gospel message. And I'm sure if I was a Jewish guy and I was like, bro, you know, I had to be circumcised and you Gentiles ain't skipping that. You know? <laughs> I don't really care what else you believe, but you're going to have to go through that. But <laughs> we ain't skipping that one. But alas, they were wrong. So, uh, but it was not just the Jews who had embraced this understanding that nothing could be added to this alone. Even the Gentile believers, Paul and, and, his, and his companions were going, hey, this is by faith alone in Christ alone. So all these other false gods that you guys have been holding on to, you got to forsake all those things too. Okay, you, you got to put all those other things away. You can't hold on to your God of fertility or your God of senility or your God of whatever, and uh, you can't keep holding on to that, so you've got to put all that away because there's only one God. One man, there, there's one God, and there's one Redeemer, and it was Christ Jesus, and you've got to put all those other things away. And so these Pharisees uh, were, were, hey, so they were clouding the air of what was going on at the time 
and, and so they were just saying again, uh, Jesus helps me justify myself by keeping the law. And I just want to encourage you again, for those of you who are holding on, I, I talk to people all the time. And, and, and some of you today are, uh, are, have, have become Christians and you're still holding on to your old sin and still don't feel like you, you yourself have atoned enough for your sin. I said not done enough, preacher. You don't know how bad I've been. I mean, you don't know the things that I've done. You don't know, the, you don't know what my life was before, preacher. You just don't know the places I've been, the things I've done, the things I've said people I've lied to, people I've conned. You just don't know, preacher. I'm not sure that this trusting in Jesus is enough. And so I know I just need to do more. If I just do more to help atone for my own sins, then I know that God will be a lot happier with me rather than just trusting in Jesus. We're kind of along the same veins here. These Pharisees were telling them Jesus is not enough you got to do more. And that's the crux of this entire argument. Galatians, Paul wrote this same thing back in Galatians chapter 2. He says, Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Please, 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 don't depend on you justifying yourself. That's a dead-end road, people. Justification comes through Christ alone. So now we find ourselves at the Jerusalem Council. Look in chapter 15, verses 6 through 11. So Peter speaks to this issue. Here's what it says in verse 6. The apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter. And after there had been much debate, again, there they go. After there had been much debate, talking about it again. We don't agree on all these things. We're going to debate these things. After there had been much debate, Peter stood up, said to them, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you, that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. Verse 8. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they will. And so these leaders came together and they, we've got some decisions to make. They didn't let this issue sit. They were like, we have to decide this. This is a matter of truth around the good news of the gospel. And so the text says there was much debate. And I love it. I'm just going to tell you, I do love debate whenever Christians come together and legitimately debate and go, man, this is the way I understand this. And another Christian goes, well, this is the way I understand this, but both are willing to learn from one another. Man, that's good, healthy debate. You guys do it in 1825 a lot, don't you? Paul Dacus throws like a, a, a bomb out in the middle of these 1825ers and just walks away and like just lets it stir and like it smokes and then it blows up. And I was like, wait a minute, hang on. Uh, and so he does that to get them to understand what it is they believe. So they can wrestle with hard truths of Scripture. So they can go, wait, this is what I've believed my entire life, not unlike the Jews we find in our text today. This is what I've held to my entire life, and now you're telling me something different? Hang on. I need to process this. I hope you'll do that in some of your own gospel community groups process through some hard things through some hard teachings that maybe you're learning now that you've never held to before and i would encourage you to find a way to get into the scriptures and let the scriptures speak into this and so peter one of the leading uh, apostles rose up and he said let me give you my, my opinion on this letter and he kind of gives them a little bit of a history lesson uh and, and so he says uh, god has fully received the gentiles apart from their being circumcised says that in verse eight uh he said god knows the heart uh and he said he gave them the holy spirit and if god has acknowledged these gentiles as full uh participants in the gospel then why should we uh, deny them that acceptance? 
Verse, verse 9 says, Paul makes no distinction between us and them. And he, uh, he makes a, an important observation and says this very thing. It came straight from his vision of the clean and unclean animals in Acts 10. It said that, that God showed me that I should not call any man common or unclean, just like the Pharisees would in the day. And you're trying to make them submit to the law of Moses to make them clean. But he showed how the heart is purified. Look at verse 9. How is the heart, heart purified? By faith. The heart is purified by faith. Not by keeping the law. And this is the key point. That if they were purified by faith, then there was no need for purify, to be purified by submitting to the ceremonies that were found in the law of Moses. Christians are saved by faith. We are made righteous. We are made holy by faith in Jesus. He goes on in verse 10 and says, why do you keep putting this yoke on them? Let me tell you, hey, refuge, we're not putting a yoke on you. You've worn, many of you have worn a yoke for your entire life around things of God. You've worn, some of you wearing one right now. It's heavy. Yokes are hard to bear alone. Christianity is not about bearing and wearing a yoke. Jesus says, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. Take off that yoke that you've been wearing your entire life of I'm trying to be good for God and I'm trying to live up to what he wants me to and if I just work a little harder and try a little better then I'll be, God will be pleased with me. No, God is pleased with us in and through Christ Jesus alone. Through Christ alone is where we are found and made right with God. Paul made the same argument in Galatians chapter 3, verses 2 and 3. He says, if the law does not save us, why would we return to the law? And so Peter said the same thing. Verse 10, he says, why do you test God? If he's declared this to you, why are you testing him? Look what it says in verse 11, chapter 15 and verse 11. What does it say? But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus just as they will. Not by obedience to the law. We are not saved by grace plus law keeping. In the words of Tullian Chavidgen, Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Verse 12, he goes on to say this. And all the assembly fell silent, just like you guys have. All of the assembly fell silent and they listened to Barnabas and Paul as they related what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. Essentially, they said this. God has accepted the Gentiles, and why should we not accept the Gentiles? I'm not ask, we're not asking them to be circumcised. We're not asking them to keep the law of Moses. We're not asking them to observe our religious rituals that we have done for our entire lives and for centuries as a people, and we are not adding anything to the grace of God. And so here's what I love about these guys. The reading of this text and just reading some stuff around it. Here's, here's some of the things that I loved about them. They were adamant about removing anything that distracts from or diminishes or dilutes the message of, of salvation is found by grace alone in Christ Jesus. Adamant about it. Strong about it. Argued about it. Stood firm on it. They were not being moved by it. Not even centuries-long traditions like circumcision to the Jewish people was of any value to salvation. Because salvation comes not by works of the law, but by grace alone. 
through faith alone, Christ alone. We learn it from the Scripture alone. And we do it to the glory of God alone. All these stalwarts of the faith rightly determine that nothing was of value when it might cloud the message of the gospel to the Gentiles. We should live that same way. Nothing should be of any value to us if it clouds the message of the gospel that we share to the Gentiles. The way we live, the way we talk, where we go, what we do. Nothing should be of any value to you and me, Christian, if it clouds the message of the gospel to your Gentile, and that would be the 99.9% of your friends and family. Nothing. Paul would go and explain this one more, even one more in his letter to the church at Rome. Look what he says in Romans 2. For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical. So he's explaining to them, he's like, hey, you're not a Jew just by your birth. Jews are the people of God. You're not just one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical. He said that entire thing, yes, God commanded those things, but it was a, something that was pointing to something greater. It's not for circumcision, uh, nor is circumcision outward and physical, but a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart by the Spirit, not by the letter. Paul kept the main thing, the main thing. He didn't major in the minors. He didn't preach grace plus something else. He agreed that it was Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And we see people standing firm in the gospel. This council said this very thing. The council did not allow Jewish religious rituals to rule the relationship with the Redeemer. The council did not allow Jewish religious rituals to rule the relationship with the Redeemer. They stood firm on this. The Judaizers were missing the point. They no longer needed to be circumcised in the flesh because their hearts were circumcised. They were made new and fresh whenever they came and followed Jesus. Whenever they learned that Jesus alone Save sinners. They were adamant about the gospel being the message that they declared. And, and, and Peter would say this, uh, excuse me, Paul would say this as he wrote this letter to the church uh, at Corinth one later. He says this, be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong. And he was saying this to the church. He was like, do not compromise on the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do not compromise do not go under a yoke of religiosity any longer that's the main point to them it's the main point that we're reading here in acts it's the main point that you and i must embrace even today there is no other name given under heaven and earth whereby you must be saved no matter what you think you believe, no matter what other religious activity has taught you, there is no other name, no other thing, no other way whereby you must be saved except to come to Jesus. Paul and the council shined a bright light on a Jewish tradition that people were trying to force on these new converts, these new believers. But men stood strong. The reformers throughout the ages stood strong on the fact that we live by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Your sin that you live in today screams to you that there is a debt that has to be paid. 
Someone has to pay for your sin, your ongoing besetting sin. You are born into sin, and that sin just continues to multiply as we live. And you're in your own conscience, you know that I can't get away with this in the end. So it screams that there is a debt to be paid. And if Jesus paid the debt... And he did. If Jesus paid the debt, then there is no more debt left for you to pay. We sing a song that says this. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin has left a crimson stain, but he washed it white as snow. Today, just like the apostles that we see in Acts 15, declared and believe, if you turn from your sin, if you repent, which means that you confess your sin to God, you realize that you are a sinner, that you cannot save yourself, and you turn to the only wise God, our Savior, and you believe the gospel that Jesus came, that not, no one throughout history has been able to save themselves, that if you will repent of your sins, which means I, need, I recognize I sin against a righteous and holy God, and I want to turn from my sins, I confess my sins to you, God, and I desperately need a Savior who has done it all right, and that Savior is Jesus, who came and lived just like you and me, and he did it without any sin, and he willingly laid his life down on a cross, because without the shedding of the precious blood of Jesus, there is no forgiveness of sins. That God crushed his son so that you can be rescued from your sin. God raised Jesus up from the dead three days later. And he is ever at the right hand of the Father, interceding for those of us who are in Christ Jesus today. Going, I've got them, God. They belong to me. And you can belong to him today. If you repent of your sins, believe the gospel, and come to Jesus. We invite you to that this day. Let's pray.